Hi, Fred. Can you hear me? I can. Wonderful. We have Fred Negdoff on the phone with us today. Um, thanks so much for joining us on this special of Indigo Radio. Hello? Yeah. I'm oh, here. oh, sorry. <laughs> um, Fred, I lost I you. Just... I lost my voice. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us on Indigo Radio today. Um, you're an old-time friend of Spark and Indigo Radio, so we hope that you are doing well during this time. We're doing fine, thanks. Good. <laughs> um, Fred, could you just start off by talking, like trying to describe the time we're living in, um, in this era of COVID-19, and kind of what your thoughts are, what you're thinking about? Well, it's clearly a strange time that none of us have ever experienced before. Um, and uh, it's, um, it's, I think it's disorienting in many ways, uh, partially because you're not in face-to-face contact with people that you normally are. You don't go about your normal day as you would have done it up until a week and a half or so. Um, and uh, all these precautions uh, need to be taken. Um, and so uh, it's a uh, also just seeing the news and, and uh, the websites uh, where they have uh, the advancement of the, uh, the disease and uh, how many people are getting sick and, and dying. And, and uh, you put all that together, and it's a, it's a very uh, disquieting and disorienting time. Uh, you don't know what there is you can do uh, to help, um, and uh, mainly, uh, I mean, there are people, since I'm, I'm considered elderly, there are people volunteering to help me and my wife, but, uh, Good. but, but we're doing things too. I'm playing chess with a kid across the street. Uh, we talk on the phone at the same time as we play the game uh, over, the, over the internet, and uh, and my wife's been helping out a few parents with and teachers with with uh, activities. So uh, so we we're at least doing a little bit. Mm, wonderful. Well, and Fred, um, as a scientist, I feel like the voices of scientists aren't really heard during this time, um, describing you know why this virus um, has become a pandemic and what the responses are, both the state responses and um, other types of responses. So I'm wondering if you could comment on that. Well, we we have viruses which become many times, not uh, not all, but many of the uh, viral problems that we've had, the disease problems that we've had, have been, have been caused by viruses which have been uh, in other animals, um, and men have made been able to jump uh, to to humans um, and to be infectious and uh, and and deadly. Um, and so, uh, this is just one of those viruses, and it just happens to be a, a uh, one that spreads relatively easily, and it is appears to be uh, somewhat more deadly than uh, than than some of the others. Although um, even the Spanish flu, the, the flu of 1918, which was killed so many people, tens of millions worldwide, it wasn't that it was so deadly, but it affected so many people that even if you just take 1% of the number of people, then you're, you're 
already in the millions, tens of millions. So, uh, so it's a combination of how many people are actually infected with the disease and uh, and uh, and the and the degree of mortality. So, um, so this is this is another virus. They say uh, the evidence appears that it came from bats, uh, maybe uh, through another animal, an intermediary animal, um, and, uh, and then jumped to to us. Uh, to, to infecting us, and when you have a virus like this, you know once it gets out of hand, if you catch it very very early, you can actually stop it. You you can you know stop it in its tracks, but it's very hard to catch early because you're not expecting it to happen. People have uh, symptoms; they're like uh, symptoms of other things, other possible you know uh, diseases that we've seen. And um, and uh, so that it, it takes some time for the authorities to uh, to fully understand what's going on. And in China, there was a, a significant delay because um, because it wasn't recognized. And and when it was pointed out by uh, by a doctor there, the um, he was chastised by the government for um, you know making a uh, uh, you know uh, trying to create a, a panic, if you will. And so, uh, so it slowed them down in their response. Um, and in, and in a sense, the same things happened here. You know, we, the government here was so terrible in its response that, um, that when the virus actually came to the United States, uh, it, it was allowed to spread quite widely, uh, before, before actions were taken. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, to me, is a, is a, just a, it's a, it's incompetence, mm-hmm. bordering, well, maybe not even bordering, maybe criminal incompetence. Um, the uh, the president said, uh, you know, was made very light of this problem, um, and uh, there were also, I mean, partially it's his fault and the fault of others in his administration. They had done away with the group um that was supposed to monitor um, for new uh, incoming diseases. Uh, by the way, they did away with the, the people in China who were assigned. These were from the Centers for Disease Control from the U.S. government that mm-hmm. were assigned to be in China to monitor for new, and you know, emerging diseases. And um, that, those people were fired in, in over the summer, basically. Mm-hmm. So that effort was disbanded. The office, you know, at the federal level here was disbanded. It was merged with another one, uh, but uh, it was de-emphasized and didn't have direct, you know, contact with the highest levels of the government. And uh, and then there was this really a scandal about the, the testing. If you don't test, you don't know. You don't know except you know the sick ones, the ones that get very sick and need hospitalizations. But if you don't, if you're not widely testing. Then you have no idea the extent of the of the problem, and that was a major failure. One of the major failures of of the U.S. government was not getting testing done soon enough. Uh, when the South Koreans were testing thousands of people per day, we were testing like a hundred or you know 150 people a day, and um, uh, the, the whole story of what happened is is, is just mix-ups and screw-ups and uh, and uh, just bad decisions being made by a number of people. 
but in light of the you know degree of uh, or the lack of seriousness with which the upper reaches of the administration took this, um, it's understandable that these screw-ups <laughs> happened. Let me put it that way. I'm not sure they would have happened uh, or would have been allowed to fester if you had uh, leadership that was competent at the, at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. So um, so it, it, it has been allowed to spread tremendously. It's only relatively recently. We lost basically, I think the Times, New York Times estimated that we lost a month to two months. And once every day of loss of not testing, not isolating people, not tracking around the people who had contact with those who have the disease, every day that you lose of that, the, the whole disease expands. The number of people who get it exponentially rises. And we had up until yesterday, we have about uh, every two days, the number of people dying from this was doubling. Mm. And uh, maybe now it's every three days, but it's uh, there, there's a lot of people, and, and it's not over yet. I mean, we're, we're just at the beginning in the United States. Uh, you know, we're 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 there's, there's a long way to go. Why is it that a country so wealthy as the United States was not able to react sooner and um, following the science more and being able to test more? Well, I think I partially not having people in the right places. Okay, so this was an administrative decision to eliminate the the um, basically forward warning system that we had in China. Now the Chinese contacted the United States, but but we would have had our own people in China, you know, and monitoring uh, new uh, problems that they're having there. Uh, so we didn't have that. We didn't have the, the, the committee um, at the um, at the highest levels of the government here. So there there was that. Um, and then there was the the strange situation where they where a decision was made, and I don't know at what level this was made. Certainly not high up, but not to use the available tests that were working. And that was a test for the virus that the World Health Organization. WHO, the United Nations, had developed and was being used in other countries. And they offered uh, it to be used in the United States, and they had a certain number of kits they were going to send, and uh, they decided here to develop their own test kit. And the first one that they developed uh, was actually, there were problems with it. It wasn't very accurate. So we, we lost, we, we just lost so much time because of that. So there's that issue. Now what's happening is because of the way the system functions, we don't have enough hospital beds, and I can talk about that in a second, and we don't have enough water needed for this, uh, ventilators um, for the people who get very sick. You know, 80% of the people are going to get the, get the virus, and they're going to have a cold, and they may have a bad cold or not so bad, and they'll get over it. And, and uh, there's only a relatively small percentage that actually need to be um, have ventilators, mm-hmm. but still you need to have them there in the hospitals. And uh, the estimate is that we're tens of thousands short. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was a struggle with uh, with the um, New York State, where which is one of the epicenters, in trying to get uh, ventilators from the federal government because there was a stockpile. 
and uh, they were given 400 ventilators, and the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, said, well, we need 30,000 ventilators, and you send us 400. You know, are you going to pick the people who are going to die? And that is what is going to happen, by the way. There there are decisions that's already been discussed. Uh, there are going to be decisions that are going to be made at a hospital level. This is when the hospitals become completely inundated, and a few that's already happening in New York, in New York City. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to decide that the sickest people are not going to get the ventilators mm-hmm. because the one because they they had underlying conditions which would make it that they there's a high probability that they they will not survive if they have the ventilators. So they're going to save the ventilators for people that are somewhat healthier, and wow. so there will be. Uh, decisions made on life and death at the hospital, and it's going to be excruciating for these doctors and nurses who have to make those decisions, but they're going to be forced into it because mm-hmm. there's, there's just not that many ventilators, and they're now getting GM to produce them in large quantity. How long it's going to take them to actually get into production, I don't know, but the company that's producing them here is at like 150 a month. I mean, wow. that's nothing. No. Just nothing, nothing. So, um, so it's just a, it's it's a system which didn't plan for even though there've been discussions about this and there've been meetings about this. I'm talking about for decades that mm-hmm. we need to plan. We need to because there've been other you know epidemics like Ebola not that long ago. There was the SARS. This is actually called SARS two, um, which is uh, it's a, was also a coronavirus. Uh, there have been other outbreaks of diseases. And so there have been discussions about what we need to do to prepare. And uh, basically, we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, had, we, we didn't do the preparation. And uh, so it's... Um, so anyway, uh, that's... Uh, the hospital beds also is an issue. You know, hospitals have gotten... Uh, have decided to discharge patients earlier uh, to, to save money. And so they they are the number of hospital beds in the United States per hundred thousand people in the United States is relatively low compared to almost all the other developed countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really shocking to see the to see the graph of this, and uh, it's like just in time ordering for um, companies. This came into fashion in the 1980s. The Japanese developed the system where you didn't have to have an inventory. You didn't have to have, you know, long, you know, storerooms and storerooms full of supplies because you could just get them just in time. You got them when you needed them. Well, that's fine if the supply system is working and the, the supply chain is working. And and it's it's fine if you can get, if you have an emergency situation, you need a lot of whatever it is, you can uh, produce them very quickly. But here we're in a situation where where that isn't the case, where we can't produce them very quickly. Like new hospital beds are not easy to produce. I mean, it's not just the bed; mm-hmm. it's the rooms, it's the places. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the, so that was part of it. Part of the reason why we have so few hospital beds was that they just wanted to have just exactly the number that they needed. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to have any more than they needed. But what that meant is. That's what they needed during normal times. Right. But, but what happens when they're not normal times? <laughs> this isn't the first 
you know, uh, pandemic, and it's not going to be the last. Right. You know, so. You know, Fred. I've been been rambling here. No, it's interesting. I have um, a poster up, actually, in front of me from our stand-up fight back last year, and you were the keynote speaker. And the title of your – I didn't think about this before we started talking, but the title of your keynote speaker speech was The Consequences of the Capitalist System – toward a vision of collective emancipation. And so I'm just wondering um, what you would say that this crisis reveals about our capitalist system that we're living under. Well, it's, it's, not, able to, it's not able to do a good job of planning, number one. Um, there, there are examples, certainly, of planning, but in, in, in most cases, it's certainly not. Um, it's... Uh, it's got the mentality of uh, of the dollar sign. You do something uh, because it's cheaper. Like you don't have extra hospital beds. Why would you have that? That would mean you'd have to have larger hospitals, and uh, and that costs money. So so uh, anything that will cost money in a in a system which is a, a lot of which is privatized, not completely privatized because they're public hospitals too. But but the same mentality gets into the public hospitals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything that saves money, uh, you do it, and and it sort of makes sense in, given given that mentality. Uh, so uh, there's there's you know that that major issue as far as I'm concerned, and then and then the the, the issue of uh, production when you have a, a system like we have. Um, when you have an emergency situation, you have to have a government at the national level which is able to say to a company, you have to do this, period. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what happened during World War II to produce for the war effort. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there was a very successful planning operation. Of course, this is something that went on for quite a few years. But the companies didn't want to do it. It wasn't like they were volunteering. Oh, sure, I'm going to produce ball bearings for you know for uh, that are needed for airplanes. Or I'm going to no. They were told you have to do this and you have to get it. And they're different places. That's another thing. Once you produce these ventilators, let's getting back to now, where are they going to go? Mm-hmm. Right now, what's happening in the, in our capitalist system is governors are bidding against each other for the ventilators that are out there. <laughs> so they use the cost. Uh, Andrew Cuomo uh, talked about this yesterday in his talk. You know, he, he, he gives excellent talks, and he does them every day, mm-hmm. to the people in New York. And uh, he said the ventilators, when they first started buying them, they cost $25,000 a piece. They now cost forty-five dollars to $50,000 a piece because they're just bidding against other states, and so the price goes up. Mm, you know, wow. supply and demand. This is capital. <laughs> so the, the demand goes up. The supply hasn't increased. So the price is going to go up. And even Cuomo says this isn't price gouging. Well, in my mind it is, but that's a different story. Mm-hmm. But, but that's the way the system functions. Mm-hmm. So what you, what you need is government which can say, no price gouging, we're going to pay you a fair price, but you are going to stop whatever it is you're producing, and you're going to produce what we need you to produce, and you're going to ship it to this particular location, mm-hmm. and and uh, because that's where it's needed most. 
and the next batch is going to go to that other location because that's where it's needed next month, or something like that, or whatever the system. Mm-hmm. And uh, Trump at one point said he wasn't uh, in charge of shipping or something like that, but that's exactly what he should be in charge of. He should be in charge of that. So, uh, so it's 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 a way of thinking at the at the firm level of the co- corporation level. It's a way of thinking at the hospitals, which have become like corporations and operate like corporations, so that um, the, the issue isn't the health of the people. The issue is. Are we making money, or uh, you know, are we even the so-called nonprofits are, are making money so they can pay the CEOs a high salary and uh, and maybe some of the other officers as well, and and to maybe have some luxuries? I don't know, but 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 that's the 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 the, the issue becomes money, money, money. It's not the health of the people, right. um, and so. Uh, you know, if we had a healthcare system, if we had a country where the system was, we we are dedicated to having healthy people. We'd have to have a completely different way of operating. Hmm. Yeah, know. that was one of my next questions that I wanted to ask you. Is um, there's been um, a lot of push now for a Medicare for all, and I'm wondering. What your thoughts are? If we had a system in which everybody had health care, how would this crisis look different? Well, uh, I think I think the Medicare for all. I mean, uh, universal health coverage, universal mm-hmm. health care for health care for everybody. Plus, I would say also sick leave, mm-hmm. mandatory mandatory sick leave. That combination would have done a lot to help with the spread of the virus. I mean, part of the problem. With the sick leave, uh, I'll, I'll get to the other in, in a second. The problem, the problem with the sick leave is that people who are who are sick but have no uh, ability to take sick leave, and they're living paycheck to paycheck, they will go to work even when they're sick. Right. This is very common. You know, aside from this issue, I mean, aside from the, this particular virus, the COVID-19 disease caused by the coronavirus, it's um, you know people do it all the time. And and they and they transfer <laughs> they transfer you know maybe the flu or some other cold to to their coworkers. Um, so uh, so uh, I think having a a mandatory sick leave when especially during this time, but to have a sick leave available for all workers. You get sick, and your children are sick or something. You should be able to take time off from the job up to a certain amount of days, and um, with full pay. You know, mm-hmm. that, that that would be, and everyone should do it. The sick leave that they passed in this in the bill that was passed by Congress uh, is only for certain. I think it only ends up being like for 20% of the workers. It's only for workers who are in the firms. I think it is from from 50 to 500 uh, workers. So the large firms and the very small firms um, they do not have to give sick leave to their um, to their um, uh, to their employees, um, and so uh, so anyway. So to me, this makes it clearer that we need sick leave for everyone. It makes it clearer to me, you know, obviously that you you have to have, a, I mean, a better unemployment system than than we have now as well. And uh, so these the. Um, the, the whole the whole issue of of your job also being tied for many people 
their job is tied to the health care. Mm-hmm. In other words, they get their health care through the job, uh, through their employer. And so what happens when you're let go from your job because of the virus, because everything's shutting down? You lose your health insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, you may have it for another couple of weeks or something, but then maybe starting maybe next month, maybe starting April, you don't have it. That's just that's just in a couple of days. So, so we're we're talking about uh, eminent sense that it makes to have uh, universal health care, um, and it's cheaper. I mean, that's the crazy thing. You know, people said uh, like when Bernie was proposing it. Uh, Bernie Sanders, you know, how are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? Is it's going to be cheaper? So, however, we're paying for it now. You could use the same way of doing it and just pay less, you know, right. and cover everybody, the whole country. You know, we pay twice as much as per person as they do in Canada, and they cover everybody in Canada. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's a more efficient system. You don't have the all this uh, shuffling of papers and, and uh, the profits of the insurance companies, and uh, and uh, and it can be really a health care system where health becomes a priority. Right, absolutely. You know, something that I'm realizing too during this time is that um, the interconnectedness of us all. You know, there's this like. Um, isolation that we're living under always in this country um and there's segregation and separation and and apartheid within a lot of our systems and yet um we're all deeply impacted by each other's health and i think that's something that most people don't normally see but this is an opportunity to really see that that we are really only as healthy as the least healthy person in our society well, it's true in a situation like this, when, when you have a pandemic. But but what happens when you don't? You know, you have very, you can have very healthy people, and they tend to be wealthy. And at the same time, you can have very unhealthy people. So I, I think you're right in a, in a definitely in a situation where where you have transmission, easy transmission of a of a disease. But in normal times. Um, that is, you know, before a few weeks ago, uh, we had the coexistence with uh, a very unhealthy people, with mm-hmm. very healthy people, and it goes by, it goes usually, I mean, it goes mainly by income. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the higher your income in general, the, the healthier you are, and the longer you live. Yeah. It's directly related to income. Yeah, I'm talking about in the United States. Right. And and uh, that that to me is a scandal just in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But but we are connected in, in and in a situation like this we see it. I mean, we should be connected emotionally to other people. Right. Uh, we should feel for the poor, for the homeless, which is also a disgrace. How can there be? How could there be so many homeless people in the United States of America? Absolutely. You know, we have such wealth, such ability to to uh, to pay. Um, you know, for for building housing, whatever, whatever was needed, and uh, it just it, it it makes no sense. How can we have hungry people? And they were they were the government was decreasing the amount of funds going into the food uh, assistance program. It used to be food stamps. It's now the SNAP program. Right. Um, this is a 
this also is, is unconscionable. Um, so, Speaking of the policies that are harming people, um, I just read about the Trump administration kind of waiving enforcement of EPA environmental rules, and I'm wondering if you could comment on that from an environmental science standpoint and also how that is going to impact public health. Well, it makes no sense at all from an, from an environmental point of view. What are you you're doing? You're just saying to the companies, you don't have to uh, you don't have to worry about pollution, uh, and uh, you know we're going to relax our uh, our standards, which were not great to start with, and our monitoring, which wasn't great to start with, and and uh, you can just go ahead and uh, and pollute uh, as you used to. And, and the problem is, you know, pollution itself is a cause of, of, uh, of illness. And one of the things that's come out is within the last few days, I saw the story from China. It was interesting that, that they figure, you know, about I, the Chinese estimate of the number of people who died from this disease, the COVID-19 disease, is around 80,000, I think 83, 84,000 people. And uh, they have estimated that about 70,000 people did not die because the air was less polluted. Huh. Interesting. I know. That's exactly <laughs> what I said when I read that. Huh. You know, uh, air pollution is a major cause of premature death around the world. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not just in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have some very heavily polluted cities, not as much as in India. But we're talking about millions of people a year globally who die from uh, from uh, from air pollution. So pollution itself is a health issue, a human health issue, in addition to what it's doing to the general environment, which impacts us in other ways too if we don't have healthy ecosystems. So uh, it, it makes no sense at all that companies didn't ask for it. It's just ideological nonsense yeah. to, to do that. So, Fred, we're, we're wrapping up time here, and I'm just wondering, um, are there any final thoughts that you have, as well as what are you hoping um, to be building for our future during this time? Well, I mean, it, it does, in a way, if we can take advantage of the situation in the sense of um, helping people see what the problems are within the system that we have and how it's tied into how how it operates as a system. And as you were mentioning before, the whole issue of why don't we have health care for everybody, Medicare for all, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, we should have that. We should have, um, I think it gives an opportunity to, to help us think more of our fellow human beings in this country and other countries as well, um, because in this particular case, we our health is tied with their health. But um, but it gives an opportunity to think about the, the whole issue and, and to raise it with other people of homelessness and poverty in general in the United States. And uh, and I'm just thinking about in this country, uh, it also gives the it could have given the opportunity for the United States to help other countries, but we. We can't even take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, I mean, here here we are, the, the wealthiest country in the world, and we can't even do a good job of taking care of our own people. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, on the other hand, you've got other countries. Of course, the Chinese are, have sent doctors to to uh, uh, to Italy. They've sent them to Africa. The Cubans have sent the Cubans to such a small country. Have sent doctors uh, specifically to to fight the coronavirus to a number of countries. And um, and so you can you can show some compassion and camaraderie and uh, you know with with uh, other people around the world. Uh, we're not in a situation to do that at this point. <laughs> and, uh, of course, individuals do it when in time of crisis, you know, the, the, uh, there were firefighters from the United States that went to Australia during their fires just a few months ago. It wasn't very long ago. Uh, so th- there were individual groups that did it. But it wasn't a governmental, you know, action of, of, a, of a central government. And it, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world where we helped each other, where, you know, when, when there was a crisis in one country, uh, health or, uh, or, uh, or something like a fire or a volcanic eruption or whatever it is, that other countries sent help. Um, it happens to some extent, but it doesn't happen in a coordinated fashion, and some countries do a lot more than others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Fred, thank you so much for talking with us today on Indigo Radio. Well, you're very welcome. And I hope that you all stay healthy and be in touch if there's anything that we can be doing together. Very good. Thanks very much, Rita. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.